0: How many times have you told yourself, I am not enough, or I'm enough when fill in the blank? These thoughts stop us from taking action. It's like waking up on the wrong side of the bed, waiting to feel like it, like getting up, like making coffee, like living life. And in today's interview, we're talking about how to step into the life you've been waiting for, and you'll hear about the three brain traps that hold us back from believing in ourselves. Before we dive into today's interview, let me tell you about the Spark Fitness Membership with creative and empowering Pilates, creative fusion, and fitness classes designed for you, the woman over 50. Let's take back our strength and health with this at-home workouts that range from 5 to 25 minutes and include everything from Pilates, Pilates on the ball, therapeutic exercises for those with wrist and knee problems, and technique tutorials. So there's something for anybody from the beginner to the most advanced. I'll leave a link in the show notes for you to check it out. Now let's get into the interview. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower women over 50 to take back their health and strength to lead a vibrant life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of women over 50 around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and sustainable so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring women who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best life so that you know You're not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, Yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Adina Mekar Napki. She is a psychologist in private practice. Adina provides psychotherapy and consulting to busy professional women and help them improve how they feel about themselves. Welcome to the show, Adina.
1: Oh, thank you, Heike. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So fun.
0: Listen, I have read somewhere, I found out about you. You have a competitive nature. What is that? Oh, (laughs) Uh, Well, I like to
1: win. Who doesn't like to win, right? <laughs> I, you know, and that actually served me well growing up because I, uh, I grew up in a fairly small little town. So it was easy to uh, have the opportunity to engage in different sports and activities where since there wasn't a whole lot of competition, I, I could do fairly well. So that probably groomed me to continue being competitive. Um, but, I find that it 's actually you know like most things it 's probably a little bit of a double edged sword, but it 's something that pushes me forward and helps me to continue growing and learning, and so i 'm very appreciative of that.
0: yeah, where did you grow up, and tell us a little bit about your background and how you became to be a psychologist?
1: Oh right, yes, well, I grew up in a very small town in Northern California and Uh, Most people haven't heard of it. So I generally just say Redding, California, because that's somewhat of a a larger population that people may have heard of. And it's funny, because I'll get asked this question, and I have to go back and and think, you know, where did this idea of psychology get planted in my mind? And I didn't put it together at the time, but, you know... (laughs) We didn't have a whole lot of options in terms of you know what was available on TV to watch. But I do remember being influenced by Who's the Boss and Growing Pains. And I'm sure I'm dating myself here. But um, those are two TV shows. And on the Who's the Boss show, uh, I think her name is Angela. I don't remember if that was her screen name or her real name. But she was into advertising. And then on Growing Pains, the father, Aunt Alan Thicke, he was a psychologist, I I believe he may have been a psychiatrist, I don't remember. But those two models, if you will, I remember thinking that they were attractive, not in terms of their looks, but but the professions that they did. Uh, But I, I, I actually thought I was going into advertising when I went to college. And it was actually my own personal experience in a therapy office that, set. The stage for me choosing to become a therapist. Um, and, and it isn't necessarily a pleasant story, but I do remember sitting in this therapist's office and feeling so judged. And I, I I had a fair amount of shame around why I was there. And so I remember thinking I would never want to make anyone feel how. I feel in this moment. And it certainly wasn't all the therapist thought, you know, fault looking back, but there was a certain amount of uh, judgment that I I think was probably deserved in terms of that it was coming from her. And so that really set me off on my way uh, to wanting to become a psychologist. It was that
0: experience in that office
1: when I was I think 18 or 19.
0: You know what, that's not uncommon because when you talk to, still to the day, I find that when you talk about, oh, maybe you should see a therapist, people are like, ah, me? Why? Right, right. I'm fine. I can handle this. Right, it. Right. <laughs> right, right. And
1: it's really unfortunate. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, I've been doing this, you know, I, I'm quite a ways from, you know, where I was when I was 18, but I see therapy now as such a, a a gift, if you will, that anybody can make use of. And in fact, I often tell people that you know it, it actually works better if you don't come into therapy when you're in crisis, because when you're in crisis, you're you and the therapist are busy putting out the fires, and you're not really available to do the deeper work that allows you to transform and become a better version of yourself.
0: But how is talking about your problems going to fix your problems? Ooh,
1: good question. And such a common question. And I think that that's something that holds a lot of people back. I, you know, talking about them isn't going to fix them. Uh, that, but there's a couple of things that are pretty healing about the experience of being in a trusted, safe relationship. And relationships are what make the world go round. They're what make life meaningful. And so many people have had broken relationships or traumatic, traumatic relationships or just been deeply wounded by what has happened to them. And so having a reparative relationship that can offer a different experience can really help shift someone's worldview. But even deeper than that, there's, there's a, a neurophysiological process that happens when you're in the presence of someone who can attune to your emotions and validate them. And that is helping you to be seen. And it's helping you to begin to develop a different relationship yourself to those emotions. Many people think that the idea is to fix the emotional problem. And that actually holds people back in it, and it stops them in their tracks because we don't fix our emotions, we see them and we attune to them, and then they are able to move through us, but oftentimes you need somebody to to be there with you to help you see them and be in the presence of them in a way that doesn't overwhelm you
0: and like so that's a lot yeah sorry like about it.
1: that yeah. yeah, it's a long answer to your
0: question, and it's a complicated one um it is. but when you when I look back on all the guests, many of the guests that I've interviewed on the show, uh, many have seen a therapist because of their pasts. And you couldn't mm-hmm. have said it any better. It's not we're not going to fix it, but we're going mm-hmm. to tune and we're going to solve it in a different positive way. That what I think is happening is then that you actually value yourself. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely. I I, I think that you know, this whole idea of needing to fix or get away from the emotional experience is what leads many people to addictions of all sorts, whether it's a substance abuse or just a process addiction, like eating or shopping or, you know, gambling, that that we need to develop a greater emotional resilience. We need to develop the ability to be with our inner worlds and our emotional experience in a different way that is how that is how we build resilience and that is how we don't have to limit our lives or narrow our window of functioning because no longer do we have to avoid trying to feel a certain way it's like you develop a muscle to be able to be with the emotional experience and then the emotion can move through you emotions come and go if we let them but what keeps them around longer are the, the stories that we tell ourselves about them and uh, the things that we do to try to get away from them.
0: That's true. That's so well said. You know, I, I keep my mind's just already going about my past. I'm like, ooh, what can I take away with this interview? <laughs> yes, yes,
1: yes. Well, it, it, hopefully, hopefully you'll have a few tidbits by the end. And sometimes, you know, that's the other thing I tell, you know, my clients when I'm in session sometimes – it will feel overwhelming. They'll say things like, oh, I wish I had, you know, a tape recorder or a, a way that I had recorded this session. And I always assure them that, that it's in there. It, it needs to float around a little bit and you need to reflect on it and, and things will come to fruition and, in a little bit more clarity. So don't rush the process.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause I, isn't it really difficult to handle these ups and downs in life? I mean, I've, I'm doing relatively okay, but I know mm-hmm. that many people really struggle with the highs and the lows, and it's almost yeah. like a sugar addiction where you eat too much sugar and you're all bouncy, and then you're like, yes. oh, "God, and not And then you crack. Cra-
1: yeah. Yes. And then you cra- absolutely. And and that you know, I, I'm actually in the process. It's funny that we're 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 talking about this. I'm actually in the process of creating an adult coloring book, and my part of, I don't want to give the book away yet because it's not out, but let me just say that the purpose of the book is twofold. One, it's to help people develop the capacity to regulate themselves so that they don't have to do something that is unhealthy for them. And the second part of the the book is The empowering messages within it that are going to help people learn to live their lives in a different way and begin to think differently. We don't need to get rid of the thoughts that we have that are holding us back, but we need to develop a different relationship to them and we need to develop healthier, more positive ways of thinking. And that's what some of what we're going to talk about today. That's what the information I, I'm providing in that book and a little bit today, hopefully will will give to listeners and readers eventually when, once the book is ready to go.
0: Now, how do you, uh, identify, uh, the, how, how do I identify the way you deal with your emotions to, to let them come out, to, to let them surface and let find some help. What would you say?
1: Well, you know, that is a big question. And I love it because it, it, there's so many different ways that you can go with it. I would say that often, often people don't know what they're feeling. And I know that sounds kind of funny or silly, because we're the ones experiencing we should know what it is. But but we get really good at being on automatic pilot. And we get really good at not knowing what we know. And so I think that, you know, how if you're that out of touch with it, that is probably one of the first things that coming to therapy can help you begin to identify. Um, but a lot of times, you know, if you're on your own, it it, it involves a slowing down. And, it, and a lot of times I'll hear people talk about how busy they are or that they can't sit still or that they need to move on from one thing to the next. And that can be a sign of someone trying to get away from their own emotional experience and there's a, there's an unrest or an angst inside that if they just stay busy enough then they won't have to feel it or know it. So slowing down, being mindful, checking in with yourself, asking yourself, you know, what what function is this behavior serving right now or is there a sensation I'm feeling in my body that is is hard for me Sometimes cluing into what someone feels in the body can begin to be a good compass for developing like, oh, that's anxiety when, you know, my stomach is hurting or when my heart is beating
0: quickly. Mm -hmm. Now, that was my next question. What is anxiety and what can you do about it? When you get that feeling, it's almost like a fight or flight
1: feeling to me.
0: Yes, yes,
1: yes. Well, and so again, and I'm just going to perhaps take a slightly different direction than people would think or that some people might say. It, 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 you know, First, I think you need to have a realistic perception of the function of anxiety and, and its purpose. We don't actually want to get rid of it. As you know, we need a healthy amount of anxiety. It helps us to do things that need to get done. It helps protect us from things that might be dangerous or or unhelpful to us. But it's our body's way of letting us know that we need to pay attention to something in, in, in its most simplest sense. And c- certainly there are physiological indicators or signs that, that we can point to that would suggest that someone's experiencing it. And common ones are, you know, as I said, your heart beating quickly or a, a sense of butterflies or nervousness in, in your stomach. A lot of people will feel a tightness in their chest, uh, you know, clammy, sweaty palms, just a sense of being on edge. And uh, where it, when it gets to a level that is more paralyzing where people aren't actually able to make good use of the information their body's giving them, that that's something that generally brings someone into a therapist's office or they're not seeking therapy and they're just not living their life in a way that is, is meaningful or helpful to them. Mm -hmm. So um, again, so many different directions, but to me, the big takeaway is I, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but stop trying to get rid of it and begin to develop a different relationship to it. And I I I think that when we talk about some of the brain traps that are you know that are I want to share with your listeners, I think that it begins to tell a little bit of a story of how we develop a different relationship to it.
0: Yeah. Now let's talk about it. this is a good intro into Uh, educating on your three brain traps that you want to share with my audience. Dive in. Yeah, yes, yes. Well, let me just,
1: you know, full disclosure, these are not brain traps that I've come up with (laughs) or researched myself, but they're common, you know, they're, they're in the literature, they're well discussed, and there's science behind that. And I love that, and that's one of the things that I think resonates with a lot of people, and it certainly resonates with me, is that you know, especially going through school, you'll, you, you are exposed to these different theories of uh, human development or why people think the way that they do. And there's so many of them that have merit and, and some that have been less popular. But the ones I was always drawn to were the ones that made a little bit of sense from a neuroscience perspective, meaning that, okay, your brain functions in this way. And so this explains this. And that's always been attractive to me. So that is what draws me to including this element in my therapy. And my therapy certainly isn't just, I don't just come in and lecture at people. It's a very much a process, insight-based approach to working with individuals. But I love to sprinkle these types of things in because it empowers people to take more charge of their life or begin to think differently. When someone has an explanation for, you know, why A plus B equals C, it it feels more doable to them to do the things necessary to get to where they want to go. And, uh, you know, the other piece, uh, you know, everything in our lives is usually inspired by our own lived experience, or at least we gravitate to what we know. And so when this neuroscience aspect of my practice became more interesting to me was in my early 30s. And I I remember distinctly remember having several moments or experiences of thinking to myself, I didn't used to be this way. I, I didn't used to be as anxious or as irritable or as pessimistic as I am now. And And one, I didn't like it, but two, I, I, I just had this thought and though I wasn't putting it together necessarily at the time, looking back, I was waiting for something. I I was waiting for something to happen for me. I was waiting to return to my less anxious, my more upbeat, my happier self, because in my mind, I didn't used to be this way. So one day I just wouldn't be, but (laughs) the 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 the, iron, the the ironic thing is is that especially as a psychologist i was fully aware of neuroplasticity and that is just your brain's ability throughout your life to change in response to experience and are if if you focus on and attend to anxious thoughts or all the rejections or or hurts or failures or injuries that happen to you, then you're going to sculpt your brain around that. And you are going to shape yourself to be more anxious, to be more negative. And so it wasn't until I, you know, had this epiphany of sorts, and really began thinking, it's up to me, it's up to me to do something different with the way I use my mind, because our brain, you know, it's it's actually not that smart, it's going to do what's easiest. And it doesn't distinguish necessarily from is this helpful or or not. It's just, you know, is this what I do? And once it becomes something that you do, then your brain just is like it just presses repeat and it keeps repeating. So if you want to do something differently, if you want to think differently, if you want to show up differently, then you have to use your mind differently to do that. And then that is where this piece of 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 the brain traps and, 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 and how we get uh, a little sideways, it makes a little bit more sense.
0: Now, let me ask you, did you solve your problem in your thirties to reignite your spark?
1: Did I solve my (laughs) problem? It's a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey, (laughs) right? It's, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say, I would say that I, I have learned how to use my mind differently and to be more positive and to be less anxious and to redirect myself when I have deviated from how I want to show up. But I'm human. And so, you know, there, and we're going to get into the, we'll get into how you do that. But just for transparency, I'm a human being like everybody else. And so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not solved. Just as we go back to you know, it always goes back to the beginning. We don't solve it. We just develop a different way of relating to it. And hopefully we catch ourselves yeah. more quickly and so that we don't get stuck on those ruts. Because when you do get into a rut of being, of of something unhealthy, then it's harder to come back from. It's not impossible, but it's just harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah.
1: So you let yourself yeah.
0: sink in and then there's more depression and there's more negative. negative. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So, so, so let me start with, uh, so, so these, I, I, Dr. Amit Sood actually talks about these brain traps, and he does a wonderful job of it. And so the first one that I think is, th- th- there's actually more than three, there's a, there's a lot, but there's these three that I kind of like to, to start with. And the first one is, uh, trap number one is mind wandering. And Here's the thing, our our we don't have a mind that likes to be stilled. It 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 never stops it never stops working. It, you know, many people think that the, the goal of meditation is to empty your mind, but we don't empty our mind. We just develop the capacity to train it to focus on one thing. But when we're not focused on something, when we're not intentionally engaged in an activity, maybe because it's boring or it's Habitual, or it's uninteresting, or it's familiar, our minds wander, and our minds don't wander usually to things like gratitude or appreciation. There's, there's more of a flavor of dissatisfaction to this mode, so we wander to our problems. And if we and, and and you know, the mind doesn't discriminate, so if you don't have a real problem, it's going to think about what could be a problem, or it's going to ruminate about a past problem, so there's no shortage. Of, 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 trouble for your mind to get into. So the, the, the takeaway here is that if you're not intentionally and in, in, engaged in something, then your mind will wander. And people who have higher levels of mind wandering have higher levels of anxiety and depression. And that's a fact. So no, we, you know, we want,
0: yeah. This, we, is, this is so my mom, this is to the T my mom. I was really, like, really, Yeah, when you said her mind wanders all the time, she is never really in the present because she reminisces about the past, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the future, the worries and all of that. I mean, this is her to a T. And I wouldn't say she is severely depressed, but she is depressed and has anxiety. And absolutely can't, can't be in a closed room. Yeah, this needs to be a window open. I mean, like, number one is like, I'm like, mom, that's you. We need to have you talk
1: to Adina. (laughs) Yes, yes. Send her my way. Your poor mom. Yeah, no, that makes that, that, that breaks my heart because, you know, she's not, obviously, she's not the only one. And what you're describing is exactly what happens. The more we mind wander, the more unhappy we become. And the more unhappy we are, the more we mind wander. And that leads people to getting trapped in their heads. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, you know, and then, you know, bringing us back to neuroplasticity, which is, you know, what I mentioned in my own personal experience, she's shaping her mind to do this more. She's strengthening that network of mind wandering. So it's, she's actually making it harder for her to do the thing that she really needs to, to, to step back from.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's like you, you say you explain that so well. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I understand that. So- oh, good. Good.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, we'll so I'll, I'll save. You know, what do we do about it uh, at the end? Because in, until the end, be, because what we're going to do is the same for all of these in, in a sense. So. If it's okay. Can I can I go to number 2? So number 2 is our negativity bias. And Dr. Rick Hansen talks a lot about this. He's done a ton of research on this. If people are interested in this particular one, uh, he has a book called Hardwiring Happiness that's great. But the 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 what, the what our negativity bias is our tendency to inflate the bad. And let me give you an example because that is sometimes an easier way uh, to 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 have this resonate. If you're out in the woods by yourself and you hear a rustling in the bushes behind you, what's your first thought? What, what might you, where might your mind go? I will be attacked. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's a perfect, is that a snake in, or is that a lion? You know, whatever. It, it's not, it's not, is that the wind? And so what this, what this bias is showing us is that we have a tendency to perceive danger wh- where there is none or we have a tendency; our minds go to the negative before it goes to the positive, and you can see how this often leads to so many uh, misunderstandings or misperceptions of, of of people's intentions because our mind offers up like they're out to get you, essentially. And if we don't know this about ourselves, then we are more likely to. Fall victim to it, and you know, if I can use another example, I, you know, this is another way the bias works. You know, I can do six, seven, eight sessions in a day, and let's say ninety percent of them go well, but one of them did not go well either. My client was upset with me, or they they left super upset. What am I thinking about when I go home at night? I'm thinking about the one session that didn't go well, and so again you know, and then with that probably comes a whole litany of, of, you know, maybe I didn't do a good enough job. And that's, that's a whole nother story. But, you know, for the purpose of this trap in particular, we when we focus on the negative or the, the the pitfall in something, we miss all of the good, it's kind of lost on my brain that, you know, hey, 90%. And, and, and believe me, I want to I want I do want 100%. I'm not saying it's good enough that I, nine out of 10 people were helped. I'm just saying that it's lost on us quite often that 90% of, you know, our day was really, really good. And it just takes one thing to derail us and then have that be what we're focusing and attending and remembering.
0: Yeah. Very true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so going back to, you know, just really quickly, even what you do with, with, with this one is, is that we need to be more intentional about taking in the good. And that's something, you know, Dr. Rick Hansen talks a lot about, but our, we don't have to try to remember something negative. Our brain is biased to do that for us, but we do have to be intentional about taking in the good. And that doesn't mean like, okay, I need these big ticket positive things in, in, in my day every day. That's just not even realistic. Taking in the good was you know yesterday my my two and a half year old just got up and started singing the singing the cutest little happy birthday song uh, yeah. for her dad who'd already left to work. so I recorded it on my phone and sent it to him and it was such a you know just in her little cute sing songy voice singing okay. happy birthday and I really s- tried to stay with that and take it in and recognize like this is such a this is such a joy in my day and If we're not intentional about that, those little things are often lost on us. Yeah. Yeah. So that's number two. Number three, (laughs) number three, uh, I call this one two minds, one brain. And so what I mean by that is that the way our brains evolved, we have a short term version of ourselves. And we have a long-term version of ourselves. And essentially what that means is the short-term version is the part of our brain, and this is the, the more primitive part, the part that evolved first, but it, it is, it's, its purpose is to seek immediate gratification and to be impulsive and to get something good now. So that's the short-term version. Then we have our long-term version and its purpose is to bias us towards doing the harder thing. And this is the prefrontal cortex. And so this is the part of your brain that, you know, when your alarm goes off in the morning and your short-term version just wants to keep sleeping or press snooze, your long-term version is the part that says, if you don't get out of bed now, then you're not going to get your work done and be ready to, you know, be out the door on time. So it's, We need both because for survival reasons, you know, the short-term version biases us towards safety and, and a whole list of other things, but you can see how this gets people into distress because, well, one, if you are in distress, the part of you that's activated is the short-term version because we're hardwired to avoid pain and seek pleasure. So if you're feeling, whether it's a physical distress or an emotional distress, if you're feeling any sense of of discomfort, your brain is begins pushing you towards some sort of pleasure. So let's say you're at home and you're upset because you had a bad day at work, and that's your negativity bias probably working against you there. But um, you, your brain is like, yeah, that chocolate sounds really good, or that extra glass of wine, or you know, vegging out in front of the TV instead of finishing up the work I need to do. That's your short term version, trying to provide a little bit of relief and this is often where people's people will say things like I don't have any willpower it's not that you don't have any willpower it's just that the version of yourself that's activated in that moment has no chance against a willpower challenge you need to be in your long-term version to meet those willpower challenges and to reach long-term goals
0: huh how interesting yeah Yeah. And
1: so just, just by virtue, you know, and it's not a simple just like switch of, Oh, okay. If I remember I have a long-term version, then I, all of a sudden it's easy. Still not easy because you're still in distress, but just knowing that we have these two different sides of ourselves can be empowering because it helps us not buy into the idea that maybe we really do want that extra glass of wine. It's almost like, no, you have somebody else showing up to the conversation saying like, the reason you want it is because you're upset and it will make you feel better for, Ten minutes, and then it's going to be gone, and you're going to be left with, you know, the problem you had before.
0: Now, all these three mindset or brain traps. What mm-hmm. is the solution to those? What can we do? What could our listener do listening to this? Right, right. That's the million dollar
1: question. Um, so, you know, it coming back to where I started from my own personal story. I think first and foremost you need to set an intention, you need to be intentional about showing up as the captain of your ship. You you know, your brain is like a ship ship out bobbing in the sea of life. And if it doesn't have a captain, if a storm comes through, you're going to get pushed wherever the winds blow. But if you're captaining your brain, with your mind, if you're saying like, no, I'm going to stay the course and it's going to be harder because there's a storm against me, then you have a much better chance of staying on course. Uh, it might take you a little longer to get there, but not nearly as long as if you just are a passive participant in your life and you're like a, you know, a ship without a captain. So first and foremost, set that intention. And what that means to Heike, is that You you know, often I find that people have this mentality of if I get up on the wrong side of the bed, then I'm at a loss. You know, my day is going to go bad. I I don't feel like doing anything. I'm super unmotivated. I may or may not know why, but I sure hope tomorrow I feel better. And what they're really saying is maybe tomorrow when I feel better, then I'll be able to do the things that are important to me. I'll be able to live my life the way that I want to. And that is a, a recipe for disaster because. Sometimes we know why we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and and perhaps we can, you know, solve that. But oftentimes we don't. Like we are emotional beings and we're going to have these, um, you know, emotional tsunamis. But if we live our lives by an intention and guided by a compass that is different than our feelings, then we have a much better chance of reaching our potential. And that actually leads me into, you know, the second, one of the other things that we can do you know, is this idea of values. And I think we talked about this earlier is that, you know, how, how can my values serve as a compass? Most, well, I shouldn't say most, a lot of times when people think of values, they think very broadly. So they think in, in more of a, a domain. So say like, well, I got va- a family is a value or work is a value those are values, but for our purposes, it's not as helpful as identifying an actionable value. And and this philosophy comes from acceptance and commitment therapy, which is another huge piece of my framework and and how I work with people because it gives people hands-on tools and direction that feels doable. So, instead of saying, Hey, my value is family. If you're a mom, I would say to you, okay, as a mom, what kind of mom do you want to be? What's important to you about being a mom? You know, I can tell you that I won't go into all my values, but before (laughs) being a mom, I wouldn't have said that being patient was a value of mine. I'm not, I'm actually not a super patient person. It doesn't come easily to me. I'm very, I'm a little type A. I'm, I'm pretty driven. I, 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 process pretty quickly. And I don't like to wait. (laughs) And so, but having children, what I found is that my weakness in the area of patience was began to be a source of shame for me or, or regret or guilt because I would lose my patience. And then I would show up in a way that I didn't respect or value, I would, I would yell, or I would raise my voice. And that that's not who I want to be as a mom. So who I want to be as a mom is somebody who is patient and kind and safe and loving. And now you can see, so fast forward, if my seven year old is giving me a hard time and really not listening and I'm getting frustrated and impatient um, rather than raising my voice or saying something I don't mean or, or being reactive really quickly in my head, I have these like five core values of, What kind of mom do I want to be? And that helps guide me in that moment. So you can see how having an actionable value of I value patience is kind of like something that is a tether to slowing down, staying on the path that I want to be on with him instead of going with what I feel like, which is yelling. You know, when you get frustrated or impatient um, because someone hasn't listened the five times you've asked them to do something, then, and you have to get out the door, you know, get them to school on time or whatever, like you even the most calm person begins to kind of, you know, struggle a little bit. Yeah. So that is super, that's a, that's a very important part of the way I work is helping someone to identify their actionable values.
0: Now, do you have a workbook for our listeners that they
1: can get your hands on for that? You know, I don't have a workbook again, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy has a lot of uh, that, that, Genre has a lot of resources, and and there is I'm sure there's a workbook on it. I don't with you know because the way I work with my clients is a little bit more organic, so I'm not going to necessarily follow a formula or a workbook. But um, but there are those resources out there, and I would just refer people to to it's called you know it's abbreviated ACT for short, which is kind of a nice play on you know the mission behind you know that that orientation.
0: Because I was thinking yeah. more of the captain of your life. I thought that was a workbook or oh, right, a re- right. resource for them. Right. So, so what you're referring
1: to? Yes, I have a a freebie on. It's on my website and it's on my Instagram. Is it, it essentially outlines some of these brain traps that we ta- we have talked about mm. and perhaps in a little bit more detail. And then there are, you know, there are the uh, steps at the end about, you know, what can we do? And it talks about the intention. It talks about uh, identifying actionable values. It talks about mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is, is, is I'm sure in your work, Heike, that, you know, you, it's something you talk about all the time and practice yourself. Uh, but uh, I find that people get a little dissuaded from mindfulness or meditation because they'll say things like I don't have time or I can't empty my mind, which as we discussed, isn't really the purpose. And so I I like to encourage many mindfulness moments throughout the day, just stopping and checking in, you know, noticing and observing what you're doing and redirecting yourself. If, it's not what you intended to be doing. It brings you back to how you want to show up, which brings you back to the values. Mindfulness would also be, you know, like noticing like if the negativity bias was, you know, and it's not important that someone remembers the terms for it. It's just important to know like, Hey, my brain has a tendency to do this. So I can take it a little less seriously when it does. Where's the, you know, what is something, uh, what is something else more, you know, more helpful that I can do with my mind right now, rather than, focus and ruminate or mind wander.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Adina, where can people find out more about you and reach you?
1: So as I mentioned, so I have a, my website is just Dr. Adina Magar, dot com, And on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Adina Magar. And I'm also on Facebook. Uh, that's at Dr. Adina Magar N a b But that's, um, If you just search Dr. Dina McGar, you should find that. I'm trying to think that those are the three best places to to find (laughs) me. And stay tuned for my coloring book, which, you know, hopefully will be on its way soon.
0: (laughs) Well, they will find out when they start following you on Instagram and on Facebook. And say the title of your freebie again. It's Captain Your Life. So just think being
1: the one in charge of where your ship or your boat is going in this vast sea that we're all in.
0: Good. Perfect. So yeah. thank you so much for being here, Adina. I know we could have talked for a couple more hours and, and really dive deeper into this, but my listeners know now where to find you and where to yeah. connect with you. So thanks so much for sharing all your knowledge and your wealth of knowledge.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Haika. And it was so fun to talk with you. I really, it was, it was uh, a pleasure. Sometimes when you first, to know someone it can be uh a little less fluid and i felt very comfortable with you so
0: thank you so much it was my pleasure and to anybody listening please reach out to adina on all her social media handles for any questions you may have get the captain your life freebie because i'll sure will (laughs) we we want to hear from you on social how did you like this interview how did it help you? And reach out to Adina for any questions you have because she is the expert on that topic. So, with that, we're out of here. Ciao.